The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast. My husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer for the podcast. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And also check us out on YouTube. We've got a YouTube channel with all the videos since early 2020. If you would please give us a five-star rating and also a thumbs up on our videos, that helps Google find us when people search because they need help or they just want some hope in the deep, dark depths of addiction. Today's episode is episode number 267, and today we have an interview with a lady named Kelly Richardson Lawson. She's an Emmy Award-winning creative visionary and purpose-driven business leader. She's the founder and CEO of Joy Collective, a black and woman-owned marketing and creative agency based in Washington, D.C. In 2017, her eldest son entered high school. Everything seemed normal, but then he was diagnosed with clinical depression and anxiety, severe depression and anxiety. And then they had to confront the mental wellness of their son. He um, started abusing marijuana and kind of spiraled from there. So we'll have her tell us all about that. She's also the CEO of the Sunrise Project, a safe space for parents of children who struggle with mental illness or addiction challenges. She also has a podcast by the same name. The Sunrise Project, the Sunrise Project is dedicated to helping sons and daughters lead mentally healthy lives while providing a safe space to share and support families dealing with mental illness and addiction issues across the country. Let's talk to Kelly Richardson Lawson. Kelly Richardson Lawson, thank you so much for being willing to be on the podcast today. I know that you have a story that is going to resonate with a lot of our listeners. Yes, and thank you for having me. I am delighted to be here. I have learned the power of acknowledging and sharing um, because I do believe very fully in my spirit that we don't heal until we reveal. And what we reveal often opens up a pathway for others to say, oh my goodness, I'm experiencing the same thing. Um, So to share a little bit of my story, um, I live in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, I was raised in Cleveland, Ohio, you know, a middle-class family. Um, And I come from a loving, wonderful, incredible family. Um, And my dad was an alcoholic. And so grew up watching my dad, you know, drinking um, first with friends and then solo and then every day and then on the weekends and a lot. And there were car accidents and there were, you know, totaled cars and continued his entire lifetime. Kelly, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you, but just because I'm kind of curious, I know my parents pretty much until they were in their 80s, they had um, they had cocktails. They never got drunk, Mm -hmm. but they Mm -hmm. would have a cocktail. And then they got into their 80s and they decided it was empty calories and they just quit. Mm -hmm. But as a child, like observing a parent doing that, what was your thought? What do you think when you see that? When I was a little child before my teenage years, it was just the norm. You know, like we didn't grow up drinking bottled water. This was in the, you know, 60s and 70s. We grew up drinking Coca-Cola or soft drinks every day. You know, uh, we didn't have bottled water. That wasn't a thing. Um, And so my dad would have his Jack Daniels, a cocktail, um, you know, straight up on the rocks. And I just 
didn't even think anything of it. It was just the norm. It's like us drinking our soft drinks every day instead of water. Um, That was the norm in my household. And it wasn't until I was around 16 or 17 that I realized and started to understand that it was probably more than a simple little cocktail. There was something that was a trigger um, in his brain that, uh, that made it such that he needed to do that. There was not a choice. This was a need that mm. was a physical addiction based on a mental, uh, you know, brain, something happening yep. in his brain. Yep. And it wasn't that he could control it or stop it. I understood. It and it was Did like you... 16 or 17 years old. And I understood that when, um, God rest his soul. He passed away 10 years ago, but I, I share because I know that other people can relate to this story. It wasn't until he told up the car one night, somehow got home on a broken leg and my mother threatened to leave. And this is the love of her life. They're, they mm. met each other freshman year in college. And so it wasn't until that moment that I was like, whoa, this is really serious. There's something major um, wrong here. <laughs> something really wrong here. And the, t- the conversations around you could have hurt somebody, you could have killed somebody, you could have killed yourself. Like all of that was wrapped up into that moment. I remember it like it was yesterday because it was right before my birthday, um, right around Christmas. Mm-hmm. My birthday is Christmas Eve. And so I realized it then and started to realize more and more as I matured and got older over time and, um, and experienced other family members living with the same situation because it is genetic. You know, if you have that, it's a, you, you can have a predisposition to be an alcoholic based on how you're wired. And so I know this and I've read books on it. Um, and I have a family member who we did an intervention with um, and sent her to a treatment facility for alcoholism. And so lived through that, lived through the pain of that and the experiences and the relapses and the just wishing I could do more to help and longing to be able to do something to help, realizing that I couldn't do anything to help. The person mm-hmm. yeah. had to do something to help. So yeah. so my story, when you ask about my story, it started when I was a child because this, this um, alcohol issue or challenge um, has Kelly, did it make, did it make you want to try alcohol or not want to try alcohol? Did it make you go in either one of those two directions? Yeah, I think, you know, I do enjoy having a cocktail. I enjoy having wine. I love to drink wine. Um, but you can I'm stop. Very, I can stop. And I have made I, a yeah. conscious choice to, if I feel myself saying, okay, I've had now three glasses of wine, that's enough. Or if I say, you know what, I think I'm going to not drink this month. I'm going to detox, cleanse, you know, just drink yep. water. I yep. can do that. And so, but I have had to make those I have chosen to make those conscious decisions so that I don't end up needing to drink every day at nine in the morning, you know, so instead I drink coffee and I drink water and, you know, five or six, I may have a glass of wine with dinner, but that is a conscious decision and, uh, and a, and a, you know, a regular decision because I know we are predispositioned to have that, um, that, that trait. Understood. Um, did, was any anybody in your family, did they do drugs or was it just primarily abusing alcohol? Well, it's been primarily abusing alcohol okay. in the past. Um, I, uh, a few years ago, my 19-year-old started experimenting um, with uh, marijuana. And he, so that's been the first time I've experienced drugs of 
other than alcohol, outside alcohol. It's been with my own child, which I could never have imagined, did not see coming. Um, I wish I could like, say that that's rare and that's not understood that you didn't see it coming, but we hear that all the time. You know, I, it's just not what you think is going to happen to your own child. Do you know how he was introduced to pot? Do you have any idea? Yes, he was introduced um, at a Friday night social with his swim team. And he was an incredible nationally ranked swimmer and um, had just gotten back from the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. He was invited out there. And we had seen these visions of him, you know, being a full ride swimmer, scholarship, you know, he's black man, young man, very few black uh, swimmers, you know, at that very um, high level. So we had these visions for him. He's going to finish high school and he's going to go swim at a big, wonderful division one school. And he's going to do this and he'll get a job. And we had his plan life, you know, his life planned for him. And he came back from that trip and said he didn't want to swim anymore. And my husband and I, um, you know, we moved to a particular neighborhood because they had good schools. We did everything we thought, right. My husband got out of Baltimore, you know, a very, um, a part of town that he lived in was a rough part of town. He got mm-hmm. out and you know, he's one of those that got out. And um, my point is not about Baltimore. It's about that we worked really hard not to have our children experience some of the challenges we had growing up. Right. And so we, we did what we thought was right. And he came back from the swim experience. I said, I don't want to swim anymore. And we, my husband and I, which I think a lot of us as parents don't do well, we didn't listen. We didn't oh. hear him. We didn't say, why? What's going on? We just were like, boy, you better, you know, we didn't even pause to have a conversation about what's going on there. Why don't you? What's happening? And what I know now, after three years of severe challenges and uh, lots of trauma and pain on both sides, all sides, he just wanted to be a kid. He was ninth grader. He wanted to be a kid and teenagers want to be kids. They have the right to be a kid. He wanted to stop swimming at four in the morning every day. He didn't want to have to get up. He didn't want to have to swim six days in the week. He didn't want to have to perform. And it's like the performance, the anxiety that comes with performance with the, he's the top swim kid, the pressure of that, the, he's like, uh, I've had enough. And if I could get the time back, which we know we can't get the time back. I would have listened and I would have talked to him and I would have said, okay, well, if you don't want to swim, no problem. We don't have to swim anymore. What do you want to do? He wanted to play basketball. He's Mm. got crazy vertical jump, super athletic. Okay, great. Let's play basketball. Wonderful. No no problem. Don't want to do anything. That's fine too. But I would have talked to him. And so it started at a swim function that my husband and I said, there's no way these kids will do anything bad. They have to swim at four in the morning every day. They're, they're good kids. There's no way. We didn't even think it was a possibility that right. that would be introduced. So that's how he started. He started smoking weed. Was it before at, or after he had come home and told you he wanted to stop? It was after that. Okay. I see. It was after that. And there was, and connected to that time where he said, I don't want to swim anymore. You know, he wanted to just be a kid. So that whole next several months was really a struggle, a a struggle of 
get up. It's time to go to swim practice. And he was like, I don't want to go, you know? And so it's like, he decided, and he had a girlfriend that was new. So he discovered girls and he was in love with this young lady. He was a really sweet young lady. And so he wanted to hang out with the girlfriend. He wanted to, you know, just relax and stop having to perform and be swimmer Kyle. He was known as swimmer Kyle. He was like, I just want to be Kyle. And what a beautiful thing to just be able to say that as a young person. What's challenging for parents who believe that our children are supposed to graduate from high school at a certain time, go to college at a certain time. Most of us have this idea of what our children should be instead of looking at our children as individuals and just loving them no matter what, like giving that love, no matter what they decide to be or who they want to be or what they want to do. What matters is that acceptance and that love. And so it started ninth grade high school. Yeah. Okay. And so, so you, you didn't listen to him. And so then he got into, to marijuana. How did it progress from there? What, what happened? It progressed. Um, Well, first, I think we didn't see it. And so that's another thing. I think as parents learning to see, like really look at your children. I could have had I looked at him and I seen the pictures, I would have seen it. I would have seen the sadness in his eyes. I would have seen some of what was happening. I didn't, I was too busy to stop and see, like really Mm -hmm. see, really listen. How it progressed was it got worse and worse. He started doing it in the house and we would smell it. He'd start hiding in the closet. We would smell it. We started finding apples that he had turned into, you know, contraptions like bongs, I guess, um, in random places. And we, we were always yelling at him, yelling, yelling, yelling. Do not do that in our house. We, you can't do that. Stop it. Stop it. And again, versus like, what's going on? We were not having conversations. It was screaming matches, you know, and screaming at him not to do certain things. It then progressed to him sneaking out the house. We had said no parties, no parties. We live in a predominantly white neighborhood. We were and are, you know, not now. I now have surrendered and given him to a greater power than myself. But at the time, there was so much fear. You know, you're running out the house in the middle of the night. You're six, two black man with the hoodie on. You know, we all have memories of Trayvon and then it's on and on and on like the violence. I'm like, what do you think you look you're climbing in somebody's window at two in the morning. What do you think is going to happen? Like the fear. So out of a fearful space, we were really clamping down on him and punishing him all the time. No, you can't do this. No, you can't do that. No, you can't go out. Well, once we started doing that, He started sneaking out Mm -hmm. and started, you know, doing, so it just progressed worse and worse. The drugs progressed. He started using alcohol. We started noticing, hmm, I thought there was a bottle of champagne in here from like five years ago. It was gone. Started missing. The bottle started disappearing. The behaviors got worse. And then he stopped wanting to go to school. Didn't want to do anything except just get high, hang out. And was he doing drugs besides marijuana? Do you know? No, don't believe he was. It it progressed to nicotine. So now he's vaping, um, but he's vaping nicotine and marijuana. Um, And so our belief and hope, quite honestly, is that it is only, you know, nicotine and marijuana and alcohol. And I say that because we're praying every day that it doesn't progress to anything else. Right. 
So it progressed and progressed. We finally sent him to a, um, uh, a wilderness program in North Carolina. And we did it with a, um, an unwanted intervention. We had three humongous men show up in the middle of the night and transport him to North Carolina. And it was one of the top, like worst moments of my life. If I think about it, it was painful and awful. And again, you know, could I get the time back? Would do some things different, would not do that. And now we learned a lot of approaches there. We learned about communication. He had a wonderful therapist. They then wanted to send him away to a therapeutic boarding school. And we said, no, because one thing I always do, we honor our commitments. And I had, we had been written, writing letters to him back and forth. And we said, finish the program. We'll be there to get you. The second it's over, the second that like, you can do this, get through, we're writing the letters. And then they say like fifth weekend or fourth weekend, oh, we think he should go to a therapeutic boarding school. So we want to send him straight there. And I said, not doing that. I've been telling my child he's coming home. So we went and got him, came home, had a wonderful honeymoon period for a few weeks, and then right back to the same behaviors and then worse. And so as you've seen, I'm sure. And so as you know, bringing the person back to the same environment, they go right back to the same behaviors. I didn't know that either. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com, or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or call us at 727-314-314. 7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. So um, learn that the hard way. Yep. Um, several months went by by this point, it's probably the beginning of his junior year. And we went through, when I tell you so much crazy trauma and pain and me running out the house in my robe and slippers, trying to keep him from jumping in cars with strangers. I didn't know all of his friends changed. Um, and we then did second intervention and sent him to a therapeutic facility in Connecticut. Um, that was all Young boy, young men, high school, mostly under 18. Yeah, he was 17, I think. I'm sorry to interrupt again. When you did the intervention with him, did he at any point like agree that he needed help or treatment or was it always against his will? Always against his will. Okay. Terrible. I say it terrible because it's so traumatic. Understood. It's traumatic for everybody, but we did it because that's the best we thought we should. We, We were trying to save our son. Yep. No, no, and no. That, there was no judgment. I just was oh, curious. I know. So, I know. okay. So then he went to another 
treatment program. Tell us about that. We went to another treatment program. It was a beautiful program in the middle of Connecticut. Um, and he, that second time he was screaming and begging us not to do this to him because he knew the first time was the, was the wilderness program. He went sort of willingly because he didn't know what was going on, but he, um, the second time he fought for like 30 minutes and these are huge guys. And, you know, as the parent, you're like hiding off in the basement somewhere and, but hearing the screaming and mommy, 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 please, mommy, it was really horrible. And at the same time, we were at our wits end. And I remember saying to um, a friend, you know, I'm trying to save my child's life and I'm worried about his behaviors. They've gotten to be so dangerous. And so, um, yeah, so that was what we thought we should do based on a lot of therapists and experts and people said that we thought, you know, this would work. So I I get it. I, first of mm -hmm. all, I just want to tell you, I completely understand. I have not been through it, but having Mm -hmm. talked to as many parents as I have, there's no manual that says, Oh, now your child is doing drugs. You know, here's what you need to do. There's, there's just no manual. There's a lot of people out there that can help you, but even though certain aspects of addiction are the same, they affect someone physically, mentally, and spiritually. Yes. There's no, what are you supposed to do? I mean, you, you do the best you can and you do the best you can. Although I think that what I've learned through this whole process is that one, acknowledging the situation is so important. And uh, second, which is hard for us, is accepting that the child that's in front of us is not necessarily the child we thought they would be, or it's not, it's not our journey. It's their journey. That's right. And so that acceptance word, oh my God, it took three years for me to finally accept my child yep. for who he is. Yep. But if we can get there, you're right. There's no manual, but that should be the manual. It's yep. like- the, the, you know, acknowledge the situation, accept who the person is, listen to them, but really accept them. Like when he said, I don't want to do this anymore. Okay. Be okay with that. But like yep. really be okay with that. That's hard for most parents, including it, me. It is. And there, I think there's also a tendency to internalize it and go, what did I do wrong? That's right. Um, nothing, nothing wrong. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, then you said, you know, maybe you could listen to him more, but okay. But that, you know, you're not responsible for what's going that's on right. there. That's right. And, and I think that's the key. It's like yeah. not because you're right. There's shame. There's guilt. There's the, I went through that because I'm an entrepreneur. And before that I was a senior executive and different companies. And so you're a you kick-ass know, lady. Well, I'm not necessarily kick-ass. I do the best I can, but like you can, all, like ha- we all do. But, but you can handle like, things, you know, well, and then I you get something things. like this and it's like, not, right. You, you can no only control. handle to a certain degree. And then he has to, that's right. And when you're a control freak or you're an A type personality, both of which I am, I was like, wait, what, what do you mean? I can't fix this. Like I'm a fixer. And so I could not fix this. And there's no fixing. It's like, you have to listen and you have to then adapt yourself. Like we have to adapt ourselves as parents or Mm -hmm. caregivers, not them. And so the sooner we can do that, the salt, there's so much pain that can be avoided. It's like the sooner we get rid of the guilt, the sooner we forgive ourselves, like fully forgive ourselves for whatever things we may have done that we think we shouldn't have done. 
you know, sooner we can do that, the quicker we can get to the place of freedom and peace and surrender, honestly, yeah. because that's what we have to do. We have to surrender the loved one. In this yeah. case, my son to surrender him and say, I'm giving it all to God. Even if you don't believe in God, whatever that higher power is, once we do that, that's, that's, um, but that's the hardest thing in the world to do. Exactly. And where is he at today? What's his situation? So we moved today? him to Atlanta because last summer, um, we were both at our wits end and my husband and I, and it's also caused a lot of trauma for my, for his little brother, our 16 year old. That's for another day. But, um, last summer we were at our wits end and we were literally about to throw him out the house on his behind. And, um, I woke up one morning labor right before labor day. And I said to my husband, I think he should be in Atlanta. He wants to live in Atlanta. I'm going to take him to Atlanta this weekend find him an apartment. And I said, I know you're not agreeing with this, Keith. I said, but I want to move him to Atlanta because if he were going to college, we'd be putting him into a dorm. We'd be setting him up. So I'm going to set up an apartment for him. And then he's on his own. You know, I will pay the rent. He has to pay the bills. He has to get a job. So that we did that. I got on that plane. I found him an apartment. I'm honoring my commitment of paying the rent. What he's doing is working. He's now on his fourth job. He's working on his music. He wants to be a rapper. And we've introduced him to a bunch of people. And I believe he will be that if that's what he chooses to do when he decides to get clean or when he decides to really um, focus on his dreams. So, uh, and that he's was in just Atlanta by himself, living in an apartment by himself. Okay. And that was just last year, just September. the end of last year? September. Okay. So he graduated from high school. Uh, last June. Okay. And which we were not sure he was going to, quite honestly, but he graduated. And, uh, and then he moved to, we moved him to Atlanta in sep- early September. So he's been there since September. Okay. But he's not clean and sober, correct? Correct. Okay. All right. So you've, you've done everything that you can do for him. It sounds like to me. Um, but now you've started programs to help other parents. Talk about, talk about the Sunrise Project. I want to, I want to hear about that. Thank you. Yeah, the Sunrise Project was born out of a need that we felt um, for parents to come together to talk about our children and what was what we were going through. It started on a Saturday morning. I was my husband and I were sitting in Bethlehem, Connecticut, at a Saturday visitation, and all the parents were just like us. It was the first time I was like, oh my goodness, there are other people that are going through this same thing. The difference was that they were not black parents. And so Mm. I I would add to what their stories were about what's it like having a black son in America? What just happened last weekend? It was always something. And I realized we don't have a place for black parents to come together to talk. And there's so much stigma in our community. You know, my mom even said, I think you share too much because people, we hide it in our community. And I'm like, I don't think I share too much. I feel like I need to get it out so I can help other people and help myself. Exactly. And so it was started in that weekend. I was one Saturday morning sitting there going, what the hell has happened? Why are we here? What's going on? And literally that February um, was when I was born. So it is a Sunday morning. At, it was at sunrise. We changed it to 9 a.m. It's a free and open and safe space for people 
to come to listen and to share. We have experts every week. We have people, my son actually shared his story. Wow. Um, that's and cool. that was really powerful for some of the guests. He actually tried to commit suicide twice. Oh. So thank God he was not successful. And um, he shared his story. He shared why. He shared how he got there and why he got there. And it was really hard to listen to. Yeah. Um, so the point but that's going to make a that's going to make a huge difference in his life. Absolutely. It may not be tomorrow. But it's going to make a huge difference in his life. And I know you're going to talk more, but I have to just tell you, I have to validate you. I have to say how wonderful it is that you decided to share this story because parents don't want to. They don't want people to know that it's their child that has the problem. And, you know, African-American or white or Chinese or whatever, there's... You know, we talked about this so many times. People used to think, oh, so-and-so is a drug addict. That means they're dirty and they live under a bridge. No, 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 no. It's the white collar kids. They're someone's baby. Right. They're someone's child. Yeah. Uh Uh Uh-huh. And they they made some different choices and and that's okay. And they walk their own journey. But they're still a human. They're still lovable and loving. So you're right, though. And so that's, and it's interesting because there's still people today that, on our calls, they'll chat a question. They don't want to be, they don't want to even hear their voice, have their voice heard. And we respect that, right? So we will, but just to be there and know that there are other people going through it, because on the surface, people thought our family was like the perfect family. Yep. It's like, we're anything but perfect. No, (laughs) but behind the scenes, people don't know. If you go in the door and people are like, oh my gosh, they have that. But you're right. The, The looks that we would get. Mm-hmm. Or the people about my child, you know, or the way I thought I could, you can tell how people are looking at you differently. Yep. I still stand tall. It's like, I'm, I still love my child. I love both of my children. And, uh, and I believe that he will be fine. They both will be fine. Yep. So anyway, I appreciate you saying that. I, I just think it's huge. I, I, and you know, we still, I always validate anybody that comes on our podcast, especially those who have had their own personal story of addiction, because it's not pretty. It's mm-hmm. not something you're proud of. And the right. fact that you're willing to like put it out there, it makes right. other people feel comfortable and safe to put it That's out right. there and to ask questions. That's and if right. people don't put it out there and they don't ask questions, they can't get help. That's right. And you have to, right. Jay-Z says it. You have to heal. You don't heal till you reveal. That's so true. You really, really do. And you have to feel it. You have to go through it. And then your trauma can turn to testimony. And that's, so the podcast ended up being an Oprah Winfrey podcast because um, I was doing these calls and what a blessing to have that. But I was doing yeah. these weekly calls and out of the blue, a friend who works at the Oprah Winfrey Network at OWN called me and she said, I listened to the your call on Sunday, more people need to know about this. And we're doing all this stuff with mental health. Would you be willing to share your story? And I said, sure. So fast forward a couple of weeks um, on this zoom, me sitting in Florida, uh, in a, in our kitchen, we have a place in Florida and I was sitting there and all these people pop up on the screen, head of this, head of that, head of that. Mm-hmm. And I just started sharing the story. And I remember being very emotional because it was you know, this is two years, two plus years ago, and Kyle was still here. And so I remember being really emotional, sharing the story. And by the end, they said, we want to turn this into a podcast. Would you be willing? Would you be open? And I said, absolutely. Anything that's going to help more people. 
which yeah. is what you all are doing. Anything that's going to help more people not go through the same thing or be exactly. able to see your child in a different light and say, okay, that's how with my little son, it's like, if he doesn't want to swim tomorrow, I could care less. Yep. It's okay. Yep. I want you to be mentally healthy and well, and that's yep. it. But yep. I say that to say that's so Oprah. Next thing I know, I'm on a plane. <laughs> She's popping on the screen talking about we're turning pain to podcast. <laughs> like, oh so I have been so blessed with that um, as an opportunity to, to have more parents like myself, you know, hear the message, know that it's, there's hope. You know, yes. I believe so fully that as long as we have hope yep. and we have faith over fear, you know, my child is going to make the right decision. He will choose yep. not to be clean and sober, as you said, when, when he, when it's right for him, Yep. I can't do that for him. Nope. We know that. And yep. so we have to then protect our peace. And that's so that's right. the reason we moved him to Atlanta was to protect our peace. And your other son, you know, and I get that. A thousand percent. Yes. Yep. yep. So the name of the podcast is the Sunrise Project. Yes. And it's called S-O-N. I was going to say for people listening, it's S-O-N, Sunrise. And it's available on? Anywhere podcasts can be found. Okay. Apple, Spotify, Pandora, you name it. And uh, and on own.tv within their super soul uh, world of podcasts. And you also have a website, thesunriseproject.com or .org? Yes. Yes, the sunriseproject.com. Either or okay. actually. We're we are a 501c3 nonprofit okay. organization as well. Okay. And uh and we are actually we have Sunday morning calls that are live and we're launching something with young people called Survivor Stories. Because oh. just like my son, he's a survivor and he yep. was not successful, thank God. But there's such a huge trend with suicide right now. Oh my gosh. That we want to have young people talk about their stories and encourage others. You know, not huge. So we're launching that in May. I like that. Um, I like that a lot. I think that's, I think that's really good. Survivor stories. I I hope it will help people, young people, old people, anybody. I know it will. I know it will. And I know that you're helping people already. And I think that, you know, you just, you just have some great messages and I cannot thank you enough for being willing to share with us today because it's such a powerful story. And I know it's going to resonate with people who listen. I say that a lot on the podcast, but it's because I mean it and because it's true. It's going to resonate with people who are listening and someone is going to hear what you're saying and pick up the phone and make a call. And that's that's the first step. That's what it's all about. The first step. That's right. Well, thank you so much for this opportunity to be here with you. I so appreciate it. And I love what you're doing. So um, I'm just honored to be a part of this village that you've created. It's really incredible. So thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for listening to Kelly's interview. I think that, um, some of you who maybe have a child or even a a parent or some sort of relative or friend that's addicted might be able to get some hope from her interview and learn a little bit about how to treat someone who is addicted and is a family member and someone that you love. Anyway, I hope it gives you hope. I hope it uh, tells you that help is available because that's the whole purpose. Again, her podcast is called The Sunrise, S-O-N-R-I-S-E project. That's her podcast. That's also the website, thesunriseproject.com. And check it out. 
and, you know, reach out if you need to. And we'll be back again next week with another interview. Thank you again for listening. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.